Before we get started, just a reminder that you can listen to both of our weekly Monday and Wednesday episodes of the Tom and Hawk Football Show on Amazon Music and Alexa for free. Just ask Alexa to play the Tom and Hawk Football Show to listen directly through your Echo device. Coming up on today's show, Antonio Brown takes are hot. Was he level-headed enough to be able to understand, like, this is the end of my NFL career, most likely. College opt-out takes are even hotter. College football is now professional football. Start to wrap your mind around that. This is only going to continue. And the weirdest ways we've been late to games. Like, hearing the phone ring, I rolled over, I picked it up, and it's my head coach. Hey, Joe, you plan on coming to the game tonight? And I'm like, oh, crap. All of that and much, much more on another EGOT award-tying podcast, the Tom and Hawk Football Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world-famous Tom and Hawk Football Show presented by the good folks over at Amazon Music. I am your co-host, Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my former teammate, great friend, one of the best left tackles in all of professional football, Mr. Joe Thomas. Joe, what's up, man? Oh, man, not too much. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I appreciate you kicking that back to me. I I, I do. I was made aware of something on the Internet. Mm. Um, a lot of things on the Internet. We won't get into that and, and mm. you know, unload all those traumas from when I was 11 years old. But I do want to say somebody tweeted that we always say that you are the only NFL offensive lineman to go to 10 consecutive Pro Bowls. Someone fact checked me and said that I was wrong mm. in saying that. Oh, Explain it. Am I wrong in that? Yeah. So you were like half right. You know, it's okay. kind of like being half pregnant. Um, yeah. Okay. First lineman in NFL history to make 10 straight Pro Bowls to start a career. Got it. So I think there's guys that had played like 13, 14 years and made 10 straight Pro Bowls just not to start their career. So you were, you were okay. pretty close. But yeah, I had to kick it back to you this morning because uh, as you know, like yep. usually our mood or specifically me <laughs> – is related to like how the Browns are doing and how the Badgers are doing. And uh, well, the Browns are out of the playoffs. And so I didn't really want to gripe about them anymore. And I'd much rather hear about uh, what's going on in the life of Andrew Hawkins out there on the West coast. I appreciate it, man. It's cold out here in LA. This is not the, uh, the LA weather that we, we signed up for. Mm. It's the holidays. COVID's going crazy. Mm. So we just hunkered down in the house, man, watching a, a ton of football, mm. uh, you know, the, the usual, which is what brings us, to today, Joe, how's how are you doing? Besides football, yeah, man. How is life for Joe Thomas? You know, it's it's kind of funny because you know, as we're wrapping up the football season, my regular schedule on Thursday night football has kind of come to a close, so I'm not traveling as much anymore. So, getting a little mm -hmm. bit more time with the family, a little bit more time at home, starting to catch up on those Netflix shows. Um, but I'm I'm also like strangely getting my mind excited about playoff football and accepting the fact that uh the browns are not going to be there this season and we're already starting to look forward to the draft which is sort of the comfort zone that i've lived in since i became a cleveland brown in 2007 because other than last year that's pretty much what january looks like for me every season yeah I, i'm gonna be honest with you it sucks the browns are bad but the Bengals are good so i'm like i'm just kind of there you know what I'm mm. saying? So now you're like a huge Bengal guy. Just like uh, on the minicast when you were wearing your Bengals gear, all of a sudden you had to dust them off, go down into your uh, basement cellar closet and like go to that uh, cardboard box that's underneath the Halloween costume. You're like, oh, Bengals gear from when I played there 13 <laughs> years ago. Perfect. This is what I'm going to wear in the show. 
Uh, you know, I'm literally wearing Bengals shorts right now <laughs> as we speak. We're going to kick things off with kind of the most talked about event from this past weekend of football, and that was Antonio Brown. If you have been living under a rock mm. during the game on Sunday, Antonio Brown takes his shoulder pads, his helmet off, throws it, throws his gloves in the stands, takes his shirt off completely, exits the stadium in the middle of the game, chanting with the crowd, right? Very, very, very bizarre looking scene that, to be honest, we would all have been a lot more shocked if it was probably any other player except Antonio Brown. So fast forward, post-game Tom Brady, he says show compassion. He, he wishes A.B. the best. He mm-hmm. cares about him. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arians won't even answer questions about him. He said he's not a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is that. Fast forward to earlier in the week, and Rappaport reports that the rift for Antonio Brown was him not wanting to go back into the game after playing and having five targets because of an ankle injury. Coaches insisting on him doing so, and if he didn't, he was no longer a part, he leaves the sideline. Now, there's been a bunch of stuff going on. Bruce Arians has since come out and says he doesn't remember having any conversation about an ankle. He's basically calling BS on that story. We haven't heard from other players yet. The baseline of it, now that you're caught up to speed, Antonio Brown, one of the best receivers of this era, we've seen everything that's gone on with him personally in his career over the last, what, four or five years or so, Joe. Mm. With all that information, what does Joe Thomas think? Well, I'm no cucumber scientist, but I think Bruce Arians is a little bit in a pickle because Mm. as many chances as he has given Antonio Brown Mm. to draw that line in the sand, put his foot down and say, you know what, Antonio Brown, you're going in the game, and if you won't go in the game, you're off the team. You're not a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And whatever that conversation was, I'm not sure we'll ever get to the bottom of it. But it seems like with Tom Brady sort of being Mm – the guardian of Antonio Brown and his career at this point. Don't you think if you were going to make such a drastic decision on the future of your franchise and your ability to potentially win a Super Bowl, because don't forget Chris Godwin tore his ACL earlier in the season, he's out. And so they're sort of already a little bit thin at the receiver position. Yeah. And without Antonio Brown, their ability to try to win a Super Bowl is going to be greatly hindered at this moment. Now you could say, all right, they, they still have enough weapons out there with, um, Gronk and Mike Evans, but this team just on offense is not going to be the same because all of a sudden defenses are going to be able to hone in a little bit more on the available receivers and with other injuries that they have on offense, it's going to be really difficult to do what they did last season. And so I would think that Tom Brady is probably a little bit upset with Bruce Arians for doing this right there because you know you have a personality who's uh, a little bit flamboyant and emotional and has these histories of mental illness that maybe you don't treat him exactly the same way you would treat those other players, clearly, which is the way that they've treated him since he got there, right? After the the COVID vaccine fake card, he said, well, I know we were going to give him uh, only one strike, but... uh, we're going to just forget about that and give them more strikes. And then all of a sudden you just kind of put your foot down in this situation. It just seems a little bit odd, but with all that being said, I can't think of a more fitting end to Antonio Brown's career than going out the way he did it, which makes me wonder like in the moment, was he level-headed enough to be able to understand like, this is the end of my NFL career most likely. And I think we might agree on that. How do I want to be remembered the last time I go off the field? And mm-hmm. if he's thinking that clearly, I think he did a pretty good job of giving us <laughs> a big memory 
and a big moment for his last play as an NFL player, which was not a play at all. It was a throw, almost like a quarterback, of his things into the stands in an away game too, which is great because you had like some of the Tampa Bay fans you could see in the in the crowd that were like sort of cheering him on and some of the Jets fans were kind of egging him on. So yeah. it was definitely that interesting situation. And I'm curious if you were in that situation, Hawk, put your mind into the, the body of Antonio Brown. Is this how you would want to go out if you were Antonio Brown? Oh, man, no. It is not. This is probably the exact opposite way mm. that I would want to go out of the game of football, mm. right? If he was level-headed enough to understand that this was going to be it for him. Mm -hmm. And again, I've played against Antonio Brown since he's been in college. He went to Central Michigan. I went to Toledo. Both two former walk-on receivers in the MAC who ended up going to the NFL. He had a potential Hall of Fame career, right? Just like you. Just, just, like, just like me. A lot of similarities mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Literally, I've played against each other for my entire career. So there was a little rivalry there. I, I can sense like you guys are both shorter in stature receivers from the Mac, like kind of had to work your way up from the bottom, like prove yourself every single day. Absolutely. So I, I sense there was a little bit of a rivalry there, especially because you guys were both AFC North players for so long. I would say it was a rivalry similar to Tom Brady and the Buffalo Bills having a rivalry. But <laughs> we definitely competed every year, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. We definitely competed it. against each other. So I say that to say I have no bias towards Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. I think he was an incredible receiver, an incredible talent. Yeah. And to your point about Bruce Arians, I think you get a little, I don't know, I just feel a little front running from, from Bruce Arians, right? Like, Yeah. Like, why now? Why now? It doesn't make sense. And I, I know he heard the conversation from the likes of the Joe Thomases and the ESPNs and the NFL networks. And they were like, you said one strike. This seems like a strike, Bruce Arians. Where are you at? Mm -hmm. So he's probably a little bit more short with the situation now. Now, all of a sudden, he has to show people he is who he says he is. And even in his press conferences and the way he's talking about the conversations, it all just seems like, okay, while I don't all the way know if I believe Antonio Brown and his ankle injury. I don't know if I believe that, especially off the backs of a fake vaccine card. I also don't believe Bruce Arians' version. Especially after watching him uh, jumping around in the end zone on the way out. Yes, he also looked pretty, <laughs> his, his vertical looked, looked pretty fresh and healthy. Looked very Hall of Fame-like uh, as he was jumping into the locker room. Yeah, it was a 38-inch vertical for sure. I also don't trust Bruce Arians in the way he won't commit to, no, yes, this happened. No, that didn't happen. You know, because he's, it seems like he's trying to protect something. But that's... That's neither here nor there. My thing about Antonio Brown, where I do have compassion, is because I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I've never had a sit down with Antonio Brown to talk about it. All I can do is look at the behavior of Antonio Brown, the decision making he's done, not only this weekend, over the last couple of years. And people say, oh, this is normal because there's diva wide receivers. There's people who are, are assholes. There are people who are selfish, all those things are true. And all those things you will find in the National Football League. And you may even find all those things in Antonio Brown. But for the way he went out there in that moment and other moments, he would have to be the most selfish player in the NFL because it doesn't happen. You can't think of a time where a player walked off the sideline, retired at his caliber, at his level, in the situation they're in as a team, and say, you know what, I, I quit, right? So that would make him probably the most selfish player in NFL history. Well, mm. while that honestly could be the case, when I look at the whole body of work and I look at somebody who comes from nothing, who walked on, on a, at a Mac school, earned a scholarship, 
turned himself into a draft pick, was drafted in the sixth round, and, and fights all the way from walk-on, afterthought, late-round pick to a 12,000-plus receiving yard Hall of Fame career over the course of 12 seasons or whatever it is, it doesn't line up. It's hard to go from that to that if you're the most selfish player in NFL. Now, if he was 6'6", 210 pounds, ran a 4'2", you know what I mean? And it was just this physical freak where your talent is so you know, physically dominating that it doesn't matter what kind of person. Like that, it just doesn't add up, to be honest. Like, you know, and I think he does have problems and problems do arise. And I've seen it in players. I've seen it in normal people that aren't football players <laughs> that go from one thing to another that they really can't control. And it just feels like if Antonio Brown, no, Bruce Arians can't control him. No, Tom Brady can't control him. Because to be honest, it doesn't seem like he can control himself. So I do have compassion in there when I see that moment. Because it is like a, man, it just doesn't, it just, honestly, it just doesn't add up as for who he was to where things are now. So here's my argument. I think he was in a fairly clear headspace when he did this. Because in, in my mind, I felt I felt like he was loyal to Tom Brady, but not necessarily Bruce Arians. And after the fake vaccine card stuff, mm -hmm. he just seemed like he was upset with how Tampa Bay handled it and how Bruce Arians handled it, maybe in the media, maybe privately. And I think in his mind, he was ready to transition to life after football. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that in that exact moment that he had planned it going into that situation, but when the situation arose on the sideline, in his mind, I think he'd already decided, I'm ready to be done playing football and I'm ready to move on to the next phase of my life. And I know this may surprise you, but I don't have Antonio Brown in my Apple playlists. But however, since he left the field, he has tweeted about his music, <laughs> Pit Not the Palace. And maybe you can get some insight to me on what this type of music is and everything about it, uh, because I clearly don't. But I feel like in his mind, he was like, I need to go out in the most dramatic way possible because I am completely ready being done playing football. And I want to transition to an entertainment lifestyle. Maybe it's music, maybe it's entertainment, whatever that looks like. Mm. And the best way to get attention about that transition would be to be as dramatic as possible leaving this team. Because <laughs> if it happens on a Monday or a Tuesday, like it's a story, but it's not the story that we remember as long as we will remember this Antonio Brown situation. I think you were giving him way too much level-headed credit to be able to, <laughs> <laughs> to think all that through. Is that because that's how I would think? Right. Because yeah. you don't make decisions that you don't plan for. You don't even... Your vacations are planned four years from now, literally. It literally is. I have vacations three years from now. I actually have already planned the meal that I'm going to be cooking next Sunday. Not this Sunday. Next Sunday. <laughs> and I'm about to go to the grocery store this Sunday for next Sunday's Sunday supper. And I've already got the grocery list planned out. So nothing happens by chance in my life. And it certainly <laughs> didn't in my football career. And so maybe I am putting that on Antonio Brown where I shouldn't, but you're definitely projecting on Antonio Brown. I'm definitely projecting my question though, with Tom Brady being the guardian sort of Antonio Brown and being the driving force of bringing him to Tampa Bay. How much friction does this cause between Bruce Arians, the head coach and Antonio Brown, especially because Tom Brady's ability to win another Super Bowl, which clearly he's in my opinion, the most driven and motivated quarterback of all time to continue to do this and sacrifice the way mm -hmm. he does to play at a high level in his personal life to now all of a sudden take 
Antonio Brown away from you, that makes his job of winning another Super Bowl so much harder. And he realizes that as good as he's playing now, he can't play forever. So he does understand the number of opportunities to win Super Bowl is starting to dwindle. Yeah, I think it probably pisses Tom Brady off. Now, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. There could have been a tough couple of weeks, a tough month or whatever it is. Maybe even Tom Brady's like, yeah, this is probably is not going to work for the remainder of this season. But if that was not the case and, you know, this kind of happened outside of Tom Brady's knowledge base or whatever, Tom Brady is basically like a coach. He's, a, he's in on whatever deal that they have down there, to your point. He's looking to win a Super Bowl this year. He's not looking to build. He's not looking for next year. Like it's now. And the reality of AB leaving the sideline is what AB probably did know in the moment. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need me more than I need the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this point. Right? Like for the rest of the I know what their goals are this year. They need me. There's no Chris Godwin. There's, I, I'm the guy. And what we have seen in Antonio's career, when it's those situations, he does start to act a little more out when he realizes he is a leverage for what it is, you know? Um, so I think Tom Brady is not happy about it. I do think this probably kills their chances of winning the Super Bowl. Now, we've said that a lot of times with Tom Brady, so I'm okay with being completely wrong. That'll be the first time. <laughs> Just when you put the nail in Tom Brady's coffin, that's yeah. when he makes you feel like an idiot. And you should know, being a, a former teammate of his. I'm a former teammate. So it's like, you know, best case, I'm completely right. They don't win a Super Bowl. Worst case... <laughs> He puts me on his Instagram highlight tape, this go. exact clip, and I get some followers out of it. And I get a little bit of uh, a little bit of clout. Let's talk about some guys who are transitioning into football. There were some comments made this past weekend by Kirk Herbstreet uh, while he was covering the Rose Bowl. And he commented that players who sit out bowl games who are thinking about their NFL future just don't love football. He said, I think this era of player just does not love football. Now, he tried to explain the comments a little deeper later in the show, but it was already too late. Twitter got a hold of it. They ran with it. I did as well. I'm sure you did as well. What are your thoughts about guys who sit out of bowl games with their thoughts on their NFL future, Joe? I have no problem with it. And I just think it's finally taken a long time but we're seeing it where college players are understanding hey I would really like to make a profession of what I'm doing right now because I love football so much I can't possibly think of a more enjoyable way to make a living and an enormous amount of money an incredible living that will set up generations of people and the risk the legitimate risk of going and playing in a bowl game and getting yourself hurt is potentially a loss of millions and tens of millions of dollars, even maybe an entire career if you have a bad enough injury. And so once you get to the point where you've set yourself up as a clear first round draft pick and your status is pretty much cemented, you need to have a proper risk reward balance in your mind of understanding, hey, is it really worth risking and going out and playing another college football game for no money and make everyone else around me a lot of money? with the chance that I might get injured and lose millions of dollars just a few months down the line. And so mm -hmm. I think we've always pushed this narrative like football players are just supposed to be tough and dumb and just do whatever the co coaches tell them. And, you know, by and large, that can be an effective strategy for turning yourself into a great football player. And a lot of times that makes you a lot of money as well. But I think understanding that there is some risk involved and there's a great deal of risk involved 
And by putting yourself out there in these bowl games, you're not really going to help yourself at all. All you're going to do is hurt yourself. And so when I was coming out, I decided not to play in the senior bowl because I was already the consensus number one offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing good I could do to help my draft status. I had someone else in front of you, but okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, other than Andrew Hawkins, I was consensus (laughs) minus one as as the first player. And so going and playing another game in the senior bowl wasn't going to help me. It was only going to potentially hurt me if I played poorly or if I got hurt. And so these players are just making a good decision on trying to further their football careers and trying to maximize their value, just like anybody else that's going into the working world. And so Mm -hmm. I don't bemoan them at all. I actually applaud them for making that decision. Now, if I was in that situation, I don't know what I would do because the the thought process and like the understanding of risk and reward and trying to take care of your football future and your professional future wasn't as much of a conversation when I was coming out. But I think for Kirk Herbstreet to sort of uh, shame them into saying, oh, this this era of football players doesn't love football because they're interested in making money playing football instead of not making money playing football, mm. it doesn't jive with me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to rehash because you hit every point on the head exactly. It doesn't surprise me that Kirk Herbstreet Played for the love of the game. He didn't play in the NFL. You had no choice. That, like, <laughs> if you didn't play for the love, you weren't going to play because you weren't going to get paid. And that's not a problem. But you got to understand, not everybody is in that situation. Some people have the ability to make a living out of the game of football. That's that's a fact. I'm not going to go into like you know all my beliefs around it because honestly, they overlap with yours. Um, but I will fix it for mm. every college football fan, college football team. Um, college football is now professional football. Start to wrap your mind around that. This is only going to continue um, because with NIL in, in play now, there are going to be college players making literally over millions of dollars a year as this thing goes on. And I'm, and I'm, I'm all for that because they have the ability with their name, image, and likeness to generate value, value that may not be there on the other side. I'm sure Kirk Herbstreet would love to go back and make, 350 grand as a senior playing for Ohio State football, knowing he wasn't going to go play in the NFL. Here's how you fix it. Sponsor of the bowl game. And you're paying that bowl game money. And that bowl game is paying the university's money. Put an extra 200K aside and make sure that that star quarterback for blah, blah, blah tech, who's a senior, has 75 grand to come play, has 100 grand to come play, has 50 grand to come play has 20 something that incentivizes those guys to say hey i want to make money well you you've never been paid for football let let me be the first person to pay you to play in this bowl game and i'm allowed to do that because i'm a brand that is now sponsoring you to make sure you play in the bowl game now it's going to get a little pricey over time but if you want those guys to get in there you want those ratings you want them to play come off the money somebody's getting paid share the wealth you you know who is getting paid kirk herbstreet and he's getting paid a lot of money because <laughs> yeah. he's really, really sure. good, and I love him. So there's been some conversation about moving Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreet to the Monday night gig, and I think they'd do amazing. But it's no surprise to me that Kirk Herbstreet wants to protect the status quo of bowl games and and making bowl games as big of a, a money-making opportunity as possible because – it's protecting his own income. So right. if he actually stood back from an unbiased perspective and looked at it, what his comments are saying is that 
I want to protect my ability to make millions of dollars by making sure that these guys play in the game for free, because if they're not playing, then I can't make as much money doing what I love right. as they want to make doing what they love. And so I, I think it's, it's a hollow argument and it's unfortunate that Kirk Herbstreet hasn't sort of woken up to the fact that his own bias towards getting those guys to play is affecting what he thinks about guys making a decision that's in the best interest of themselves, just like the decisions that he makes in the best interest of himself as a professional. We should also point out, and this is why I'm not that I hate talking about it, but the reality is people don't just say stuff that they believe in sports media. I know we assume that everything somebody says they believe, like I don't even all the way believe that he believes that to your point, he's just protecting his interests and right. That's actually very normal in media in general. That's normal in humanity. You're protecting your own yeah. interests. Like you're protecting your own interests and your family's interests. Like that's life. That's being a human being. That's basically being an like any sort of living being. What <laughs> yeah. you're uh, predisposed to do to, to survive. To survive. One interesting thing I, I think that uh, we should talk about quickly is the NIL stuff. Because we don't really talk a whole lot of college here. But the old timers, the people that are protecting the status quo, the people that make a ton of money on NCAA football, NCAA, you know, athletic directors, coaches, everybody but the players, essentially, mm-hmm. they've all been, all, you know, against NIL. It's going to ruin college sports. But I actually think what NIL will end up doing is it's going to be able to get players to stay in college longer to wait to go to the draft because now they're able to make significant income at the college level, which, yeah. They don't have to leave college right now to go make millions in the NFL versus the zero they're making in college because some of these guys are making a lot of NIL money and they can factor that into this decision on should they stay. And then like like you were saying about the bowl game, let's start paying maybe some of these top guys. Let's have a pool that each team can have in these BCS games from the mm-hmm. the bowl uh, committee or whoever you know has the money there from the sponsors, give them to the team and allow the team to pay some of their guys maybe that are going to potentially be first round picks that would normally maybe not play in these games to incentivize them to play so that everybody's sharing in the pot and we're getting the best possible BCS game that we can get. Yeah, I, yeah, dude, you're completely right. There are going to be guys who are going to make more money as seniors in college football than they would as rookies in the NFL, especially with the cap that is going, that is on the rookie wage scale of the NFL. There's going to be top level guys who might be a second, third rounder in the league that will have the ability to make more money in college than in to go pro. So I, I think that's, that's spot on. It's the world we're going to. And honestly, I probably know more college football players this year than I ever have mm. because I see the so-and-so signed this deal for 200 grand. This person signed that deal. I'm probably more into not just football, actually, basketball, women's sports. Yeah. I know more college athletes mm-hmm. this year than I ever have because of NIL. Now, that's not everybody, but I'm just speaking for myself. We have one more topic to go here. And it was about a couple of DBs from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being late to games. Have you ever been late to a game, Joe? I have never been late. I've been late to anything. I was late one time in high school to a basketball game because I went home to take a nap uh, in between like school and when your high school basketball game starts. And I didn't set my alarm right. You know, one of those classic, I slept at AM and should have been PM. And I remember getting a phone call on the landline, which doesn't exist anymore for those <laughs> kids listening at home. It was this thing that you plugged into the wall and people could call you before cell phones. And I remember like hearing the phone ring. I rolled over, I picked it up and it's my head coach. Hey Joe, you plan on coming to the game tonight? And I'm like, 
oh crap. And like, I instantly got in the car and I made it in time for the start of warmups, but that was the only time I've ever been late in my life. Well, that's not really late. So it's not really kind of, it was like late ish, but how about you? Have you ever been late to an NFL game or a college game? Well, I, okay. So preference, the cornerbacks were Sean Murphy bunting and, and Jamel Dean. They were on the COVID list. They took a PJ to go play in New York. They get there only to find out. Because they had to get tested like late. They couldn't go with the team. They had to test negative before they could leave. So they left like the day of the game. And they get there to only to find out the pilot tested positive for COVID. So there was like a bunch of protocols or whatever. So they came. I don't even know if they played, actually. I was almost late to an NFL game. For people that don't know, we stay in a hotel the night before a game. And you're supposed to stay in the hotel at night, close to the stadium. Wake up in the morning, you go to the stadium. But every time you need to get there early, get ready, it's usually you have to be there by 10 for a one o'clock game. So three hours early. After 10 o'clock, you're late. Well, I hated staying in the hotel because I just sat there and thought about the game and just anxiety ridden. I'm like, I couldn't stand it. So I would go to the hotel. I would, as soon as I get to the hotel, go to sleep like at like 9.30. As soon as we got out of meetings, 9 o'clock, I would go to sleep. I would set my alarm for 1.30 in the morning and I would sneak out of the hotel drive back to my house, which is about 30 minutes away, sleep in my own bed, and then come to the stadium at like 10. So one night I did that. And on the way down, I got a flat tire and like car on the side of the road. And I'm like, like, I'm already cutting it close. So I call, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be late. I'm sitting there. They're waiting. They're trying to get me a tow truck. They're like, hey, we're just going to get somebody to come pick you up. So I'm there for like 20 minutes. John Frayne calls me, who's a security guy. He's like, hey, I looked up your car. You have no flat tires, which means your tire is flat, but you could still drive on it. So, <laughs> How can you look at that up? I mean, how scary is that that Brown Security looked up your tire <laughs> information through the cloud and was able to tell you that you don't have a flat tire. You can keep driving. So I was about an hour and 15 minutes late from when I was supposed to be there, but I still played in the game. So you made it like, what, two hours before yeah. the game? Yeah, I made it right for warm-ups. And how did that affect your warm-up? Because I know I used to show up as one of the earlier players at the game. It's kind of an offensive lineman thing. One, we need more warm-up because we're not athletes yep. like you guys who just roll out of bed like a lion, no stretch, and just go run. As an offensive lineman, we are fat and out of shape, and it takes hours of warm-up. I'm talking – you need to go on the field early. You need to stretch. You need to go through your dynamic warm-up. Come back inside. Hot tub. Hot shower. Get like a full rub down from <laughs> a, a massage therapist or the trainer. And then, then you got to start putting on all of your protective gear, which was like taped wrists, gloves, tape over the gloves, over the <laughs> wrist tape, elbow braces, knee braces, uh, all the pads in your pants. And then on top of that, then all of a sudden it's like, crap, now I have these Ninja Turtle hands that are all taped together and I got to go poop. So <laughs> I am going to have to go undo the 45 minutes of preparation. Could somebody come wipe me? Somebody needs to wipe me like my five-year-old son. <laughs> I did go poop. And then the trainer has to run in there and like wipe your ass. Uh, so I needed every second of that three and a half hours. And honestly, I think these guys from the Bucks they showed up like an hour and a half before the game. And they said they did play, but they said they just didn't feel like they were in a routine and a rhythm. And so they struggled to like get into the flow of the game yeah. for a while. And for me, if I showed up two hours before a game start, I would just declare myself out because there's no way that I could a get ready <laughs> in, in only two hours before the game or B be mentally ready to be able to just like roll onto the field and go try to play an NFL football game with only two hours of preparation. I think, I think it, it would be more mental. Well, depending on what side of my career, like towards the end of my career. Yeah. I was like, I was like you, I had a whole routine. 
that I could not deviate from. Otherwise, you might as well put somebody else out there because I was old at that point and I needed every <laughs> little bit to even contend oh, yeah. speed-wise, mm -hmm. athletically in the NFL. But I think in any part of my career, mentally, it just messed me up. For, so for that game, I mean, we weren't very good. It was 2016. So it was like in that, in those of my, like there was a certain time in 2016 where, you know, we all knew like, okay, we're going to lose these games. It was the first time in my career I would go into games knowing we were going to lose. And so it was like, at that point, I'm like, it didn't matter if I got here seven hours early or a minute before the game, it was going to be the same outcome. I was going to have three receptions for 34 yards and we were going to lose by four touchdowns. <laughs> so you would be the leading receiver on the Browns from yeah, <laughs> this entire season. Exactly. My favorite brief late for a game story is my former teammate, Matt Roth. I don't think you ever played with him, but he he was uh he was a, a fun loose cannon that every, everybody loved but you never knew what you're going to get with him and he missed the last bus to the stadium so for people that don't know there's an early bus that goes like three and a half hours early and then there's like a late bus that goes like maybe two and a half hours before the game and most fat guys who are anxious like me and hawk who's just anxious would go on like the early bus to get there with plenty of time and then the late guys wanted to be there as little time as possible because they didn't want to get in their own head and it didn't take them that long to get ready so Matt was a late bus guy, but he missed the late bus in Baltimore. And what do you do then? Like, I think this was before Ubers. And so what did he do? He decided with like his bag over his shoulder to run to the stadium from our hotel, which isn't that far away in Baltimore, but he runs to the stadium and you would think like there's probably some type of security somewhere that's saying like, hey, sir, you can't just like go in there. But he was a big intimidating guy. And so he went through arena control, like where the buses go and just ran past all the old Permar security people sitting in chairs and got to like sort of where the buses are and just started yelling at people and just barged right in into the locker room, got in the locker room. <laughs> and at that point, like the security recognized him for the Browns, the, the, the team saw him, but nobody even noticed that he missed the bus, which was the funny part. So he didn't get fined or anything, but he did have to run to the stadium and forces forcibly enter himself <laughs> into the uh, Baltimore Ravens stadium to be able to get there just in time for the game to start. I think that would be the worst part. Like the the mental anguish you put yourself through. Oh my gosh, you'd be so fried. Like when you're a minute late for a meeting in the NFL or any place, like it oh is, God. I mean, I can't even oh. tell you what that anxiety feels like. Like, I mean, people understand you when you're late anywhere, like for work or whatever, but just to know there's like a $30,000 price tag attached to anything yeah. you do wrong mm -hmm. makes it that much. I remember being in a meeting with you and your your cell phone went off. Oh, my God. And for the rest of us, it's like, oh, that's Joe Thomas. If anybody's cell phone can ring in a meeting, it's him. But the look on your face. Oh, my God. The fear. I melted. The like, you wanted to melt into your seat because your phone rang in a meeting and you couldn't believe it was you that it happened to. Yeah. So that was when Hugh Jackson was our head coach and he had made a huge deal about like, obviously no cell phones in meetings. Like they didn't even want you to have them in there on silent. <laughs> like he built this whole charging station yep. that sat outside the meeting rooms that everyone was supposed to like put their phones in so that you didn't even have the temptation of looking at your phone during a meeting. And I just never paid attention. I would just always put my phone in, on airplane mode as soon as I got in the building, put it in my pocket. It was silent, so it didn't ring or anything. But what happened is it was sitting in my pocket and I was leaning against the armrest in my chair. And this must have been like the old iPhones or whatever that had the button. Like if you, if you like held one of the buttons, it would 
like call Siri or something. I'm not a tech guy, but like it would ask Siri would say, what do you want? Right. You don't need to be a tech guy to know how Siri works, but go ahead. Yeah. And, and like, so I was like leaning on that button. So even though it was on silent, Siri was like, can I help you? But I didn't hear that. And it was like FaceTime and it was some media person from like the New York times or something that I had done an interview <laughs> with before. And so it started like FaceTime ringing in the middle of the meeting. And Hugh, of course, immediately stopped and was like, who the hell is that? And when I immediately like turned bright red, raised my hand, I was like so apologetic. I was so embarrassed, but it was funny <laughs> because he didn't believe it was me. Cause you know, Mr. Responsible. He thought you were just taking the fall for somebody. <laughs> yeah. He thought I was like taking the fall, like covering up for somebody. And to this day, I bet you, if you ask you, he still thinks I was like taking the fall for somebody else. Cause in my entire career, he was so pissed. college and the NFL, I was never late for anything. I never had a cell phone ring. Like I never screwed up one time as far as that goes. And until my 11th season, uh, then I FaceTimed a New York Times reporter in the middle of our meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and we wonder where the anonymous sources come from. Yeah. The rest of us needed that, Joe. The rest of us little people, normal people, <laughs> NFL, that you would have turned around and probably cut us or find <laughs> us until, you know, yeah. we all had to go to a homeless shelter. Mm. He was pissed. He's like, who is it? We're not going on in this meeting until we find out who it is. Whose phone is that? Joe, like, gingerly raises his hand. He was like, everyone starts laughing. Who really was it? He's like, yeah, no. Who really was no, it? No, no, who, who was it really? I appreciate that, Joe, but who was it really? That really was it. No, my coach, it really was me. He's like, all right. And he was like, all right, he's really going to go for it. He's really taking the, the fall for another guy. What a great leader. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it really was me. All right, Jeff, so here's a scenario I want to get your, your take on. Now, I don't know exactly all of the, you know, how things need to work. Steelers beat the Ravens, blah, blah, blah. All these teams that are at this, like, you know, 9-7, and 8-7, you know, 10-7 and seven area. But from what I understand, if the Jaguars beat the Colts in Jacksonville, which they've done, I think, the last five or six times they've played in Jacksonville, then there's a scenario where the Chargers, who play the Raiders this week, who are both in a kind of win-in-your-end scenario, but if the Jaguars beat the Colts, if they tie, both the Raiders and the Chargers both still get in. Do you ever imagine a world where two NFL teams decide, you know what, hey, let's play it safe here. Let's both get in the playoffs. Let's just take knees for 60 straight minutes and both go into playoffs next week. What prevents them from doing that? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think what okay. prevents them is Roger Goodell. Because can you imagine anything that uh, puts more disdain on the shield that they protect with their lives than two teams going out and uh, agreeing before the game, not even a silent contract, like a very well- Let's not compete. <laughs> verbal contract that it doesn't matter what happens. We are going to not compete and we're going to just get out of this game with a zero zero tie and find any way that we can to not get hurt, to rest our guys and both go to the playoffs because that's just acting in your own best interest. It's like a true prisoner's dilemma in that situation where it's best if they both don't snitch on each other and then they're only going to serve one year in prison. Goodell might be really pissed off at him, but they both make the playoffs. They both come in healthy and they've got a great chance to win the Super Bowl. And if that's what this game is all about, then I don't see a reason why they wouldn't do that. You're completely right. Number one, per usual. Yes. I can see where if you win in your end, like, hey, go for the win in your end. Don't 
tie. Like you have to compete. Like may the best man win. That's what competing in sports and football is all about. Agree. And I don't know if this is a scenario that could ever actually take place, but if there was a world where the only scenario they got in <laughs> was if they tied. You have to tie. Right? Like what if the only way for the the Chargers and the Raiders to get in the playoffs is if they tie. Mm-hmm. If you have a win or a loss, you're both out. Which I don't even think that makes sense. But in that scenario, then what do you do? Do you still say, yo, compete and lose? And like I'm out the playoffs? You're in. No, you have to tie. So you play the game for the tie at the end. It's almost like the opposite of the dilemma that coaches have in the uh, exhibition season, right? In the preseason, you don't want to tie because you don't want to go to overtime and play any more snaps of a meaningless game than possible. So you see coaches doing crazy stuff at the end of a game. If you remember, like if you're down seven at the end of a, a preseason game and you score a touchdown everybody in the sidelines like no don't kick the extra point so you always go for two so you're either winning or losing so the game's over so this would be the opposite of that situation like where both teams are legitimately trying anything they possibly can with two-point conversions and field goals and safeties and punts to be able to find a way to tie in that situation which Mm -hmm. would be pretty easy if that's what you're both going for because Whoever has the ball on offense, if the other team needs six, you just toss them the football, <laughs> snap it, throw it to them. Everyone else lay down. The guy run into the end zone, you get six points. Or you let guys score. Then you miss the extra point. I would rather they do it like where it's a high, like it's 114 to 114. Like, oh, don't tackle anybody who we give it to and just let guys just rack up yards, touchdowns. I mean, it basically would be point shaving. I would imagine they would. Yeah. Can you imagine what the spread Vegas probably wouldn't even put a line oh my on something gosh. like that because there's just no telling what would happen. But I'm, I'm curious in this situation, let's just assume it happens this weekend. And if they both tie, they're in like, do the coaches even say anything to them or are they just totally okay? Sort of with the wink nod, like, Hey, you know, we need a tie. So we're going to rest our starters. Both teams are going to rest all their good players. And if it gets down to the fourth quarter, you know, they're just going to give each other the nod from the sideline and let them know like, hey, we're going to just punt and play it safe as long as you guys are cool with that because we both want to get in. We're already resting all of our guys. I would say because they're division rivals, I would say no. I would feel like the Chargers wouldn't want to help the Raiders and vice versa, right? Because like, like the Bengals and Browns would never just tie to both get in or the Steelers and the Ravens or the Steelers and the Browns or the Bengals and the Ra- like none of them right like we there's such a hate within the division yeah there's a there's a hatred there's a lot of hatred in the AFC West too yeah exactly right and it's like yeah there's no way I don't I would almost rather us both be out than to help you <laughs> both get in you know like in the prisoner's dilemma situation like i'm okay you're you're definitely snitching because either way you're gonna be happy yeah you, you don't mind spending five <laughs> years in prison i'm good or sending it. me to prison for 20 years i'll do my time as, as long as you're sticking it to me uh the classic podcast duo here i know you can't handle prison i can handle prison joe i'll be fine i'll bounce back yeah i don't care what happens as long as you go to jail for at least five years (laughs) exactly would would the nfl step in in this situation like if this is what happens does roger goodell like pull out the bat phone and call both head coaches and say hey guys i know if you both tie you're in but we need to make this look good like you can't just go out and do crazy stupid shit and you got to play all your starters yeah i don't know man that is what would you do if you were the head coach, would you try to go over to the other team's head coach, whatever side you're on, uh-huh. and explain to him, like, look, 
the, these are the rules we're going to play by. We're not playing our starters. We're not going to play our better starters, right? Because you have to play um, the majority of them because you only got 53 of them. It's not like a preseason game where you got 80 right. guys in the roster. So you have to play some of them, but you're not right. going to play your quarterback, your running backs, probably your 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 uh, skill players that are pretty good. You you might sit out one lineman potentially if they're really good or if somebody's banged up. Is that the way you try to do it as long as the other team agrees to do it? And then if you see like their their starting lineup to start the game and all of a sudden they got like all their good players in it, you're like, <laughs> you guys told me you were going to play these guys. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's probably what I would do. I'd set them up to make it seem like we're going to tie and then try to hurry up and get a lead. <laughs> and you got sick to him. Talk about uh, enhancing a rivalry. If that was the situation. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same team. We're just going to play for the tie, man. And then you try to stick it to him. That'd be beautiful. Yeah, that, that would be more my style for sure. The old undercut hawk. And I also wouldn't have that. Even if I was going to do it, I wouldn't have that conversation pre-game. Like, let's go have dinner. I wouldn't have it on the phone either. When would you have it, though? Let's go have dinner or something. Let's go have dinner, you know, Saturday night before the game. You cook him dinner? What are you going to make him? You making them lasagna? Yeah, my finest lasagna. I put pepperonis in my lasagna too. It's do you really? I bet you it's really good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I always do sausage in my lasagna. That's that's the key. Don't do beef lasagna. You got to do pork sausage. If you eat pork, some people don't, and those people are wrong. I do turkey sausage because I'm trying to be healthy. So I'm trying to put down on my on the my red meat intake. Turkey sausage is pretty good. So you're making them uh, a pepperoni lasagna. Yeah. Are you poisoning the pepperonis? Yeah, it's got you got to do what you got to do. Get that taste. <laughs> can't can't do without it joe all right well i think that does it for today's episode of the tomahawk football show make sure you tune back in next week we'll have more football talk for you more catching up and nfl playoffs coming up do not forget to add the tomahawk football show flash briefing in your alexa app and then tell Alexa, just play my flash briefing to hear the Monday minicast through your Echo device. And remember, our Monday minicast is now available everywhere for the rest of the football season. So you can listen to both our Monday and Wednesday shows on Amazon Music or wherever you listen. Joe, closing thoughts. Final thoughts are the gift that I got on Christmas that may be the greatest gift for my podcast life is the fact that the Browns didn't make the playoffs and the Browns have a big decision this offseason at quarterback. So we've got an enormous amount of content to talk Browns, to talk quarterback carousel this offseason. And they might just keep us on the air for another couple of weeks because of it. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm going to give some final thoughts. I don't typically do this, but. Ooh, oh, yeah. Hawk, do you have any final thoughts? Thank you, Joe. Ben Roethlisberger incredible career as a player we give you a lot of you know shit on this show i talk about you in the media all the way it's mostly just because you know you you beat our heads in for years and years but incredible career uh for the pittsburgh steelers hall of fame career one of the best quarterbacks to ever play he played his last game in heinz field he beat our browns um but i just would be remiss if i didn't mention that it was an honor to be able to compete against someone of that caliber. The same way it was an honor to be able to play with someone of Joe Thomas's caliber. Joe, take us out, man. Nothing more needs to be said except for Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>